2: Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is on tonight. The search for solutions to crime and disorder in BC has been a hot topic for many months now. But one possible remedy is being met with resistance from the prosecution service. That's according to Doug Lepard, a former VPD deputy chief and co author of a report on random violence, who says the Crown pushed back against a suggestion to get more assertive with repeat offenders. Kristen Robinson reports.
0: Right here is our needle box. Which has lots of graffiti on it, as you can say.
3: This. Graffiti in the washrooms and broken windows. This window right here got hit. Three of JJ Bean's Vancouver locations broken really into right. in four weeks.
0: Enough's enough for me.
3: The biggest cost the safety of John Neat's staff. He won't be opening any more stores here.
0: It's devastating to watch, to see what the city that I have worked in and lived in all my life, to see what's happening
3: down the block a convicted killer from Alberta accused of smashing windows at the same TD bank twice in five weeks.
4: I think it tells us that there's a lawlessness in society right now. But I'm not going to be held in jail and therefore I can do what I want because I'm going to be released the next day if, if I'm even held.
3: This is what happens. Vancouver's former deputy police chief told a recent public forum on street crime in the city when suspects who've repeatedly breached bail are not held in custody. Doug Lepard co-authored a provincial government commissioned report on repeat offending and random violence and suggested Crown detains certain suspects.
4: You could be a little more assertive at seeking detention for the most incorrigible offenders who breach their conditions over and over and over again. And I have to say we got pushback on that about whether that was appropriate.
3: The number of people receiving jail sentences in B.C. decreased by 40% during the pandemic, from more than 15,000 in 2019 to just over 9,000 last year. Lepard says other provinces are now remanding people as they did pre-COVID, but they haven't seen that in B.C.
4: And you are going to get that sense of lawlessness and emboldening of some offenders, the worst offenders, and they are the ones that ought to be. Detained.
3: The Butler-Lepard report made 28 recommendations. The BC Prosecution Service is examining those which directly affect the prosecution function and says it will not comment while that review is underway.
0: Some people it's a mental illness, some people it's a drug addiction, but at the end of the day the public needs to be safe.
3: Kristen Robinson, Global News.
2: Now, a warning about the video in our next story, some viewers may find it disturbing. Metro Vancouver Transit Police are defending their actions at a busy downtown SkyTrain station. Police tackled a woman at Granville Station at around 4:30 Thursday afternoon, kneeing her in the back and using a taser to subdue her. Police say they responded after getting calls she was chasing passengers and removing her clothing. They say she tried to grab their weapons during the interaction. She was admitted to hospital under the Mental Health Act. The Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner says it has been contacted about the incident. Canada's top court says changes must be made to the National Sex Offender Registry. The court says mandatory lifetime registration for offenders is a violation of the Constitution. But as Kylie Stanton reports, local advocates say this decision is a step in the wrong direction. It's just, it's frustrating.
0: For a survivor, reading these words feels like a slap in the face.
3: It shakes me to my core. I cried this morning when I found out because there's no reason that this should be happening.
0: In a ruling Friday morning, Canada's top court deemed parts of the National Sex Offender Registry unconstitutional, saying while mandatory registration has the attraction of simplicity and ease, the convenience of requiring every sex offender to register does not make it constitutional. The court also concluded that keeping offenders on the registry for the rest of their lives is a violation of the Constitution.
5: A sexual assault can be just kissing somebody on the cheek unwantedly, or maybe grabbing somebody's butt. And while those things are, of course, inappropriate and unlawful... They aren't the type of thing that should have the stigma of a lifelong mandatory registration.
0: The decision came in the case of an Edmonton man who pleaded guilty to sexually touching two women at a party. And while he was considered minimal risk to reoffend, his name would have been permanently added to the list. It was argued the practice only diluted the registry
5: because you are not identifying the people who are habitual sexual offenders who pose a real and continuing risk to the public and instead capturing people who may have engaged in inappropriate conduct on one or two occasions that may have been very minor.
0: But advocates say this is a major step backwards for survivors.
6: A decision like this, unfortunately, uh, does play into a long-lasting and deeply uh, profound lack of trust that, that victims and survivors have of the criminal legal system.
0: The court is giving Parliament one year to rewrite its law on mandatory registration, which may open the door for thousands of people who are already on the registry to bring out-of-time appeals of their orders to have their names removed. Like God! For Favreau and countless survivors out there, there are a lot of questions but no sympathy.
3: We're real humans that have suffered trauma and if they're, if they're worried that <laughs> being, being labelled a sexual offender is going to be the worst thing that happens to them, Jesus Christ, they got off lucky. Kylie
2: Stanton, Global News. Surrey RCMP say the U-Haul used in a number of patio furniture thefts in Clayton Heights earlier this week has now been seized. Amanda Costa's entire front porch was cleared out Monday morning at 5 a.m. and it was all caught on her door camera. The video shows a man backing up the U-Haul truck right into her driveway before entering her front porch gate. About three hours earlier, video from another neighbor shows a man pulling up in a U-Haul also stealing patio furniture. RCMP say the stolen furniture from both complaints has been recovered, but no arrests have been made. They are still working to identify the suspect. Residents of a Surrey neighbourhood are in shock after an aggressive fire tore through a home on their street. Despite crews' attempts to put out the flames, the house could not be saved. But incredibly, not everything was lost. Catherine Urquhart reports. In Surrey's Wally neighborhood, residents watched in disbelief as flames devoured a house. Then there were explosions. It was about 8.30 Thursday night when the fire started and quickly spread.
6: I heard a lo- loud explosion. I thought, look, a lightning struck my house.
5: Flame. I am scared,
6: oh my God, too much.
2: Surrey firefighters were on scene within minutes, but there was no chance they could save the house.
4: When crews arrived, it was so fully involved uh, that there was no chance that they could actually enter the structure. So at that point, they prioritized uh, their response to uh, saving the, the buildings that were to either side of that building, as well as trying to suppress the flames.
2: Two residents escaped the burning home and were taken to hospital with minor injuries.
6: I feel sorry for Adina and the mother. They just had operation.
2: Cause of the fire remains under investigation. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. First Nations say the decision by the B.C. government not to support an Indigenous-led bid for the 2030 Olympic and Paralympic Games is a step backward for reconciliation. Joining us with more on the fallout and reaction is Keith Baldry. Uh, Keith, you have more on the disappointment among these Mm. four First Nations who led that bid and also why the province felt it couldn't support this.
7: Basically, came down to money, Sophie. Uh, the government felt that the budget was not etched in stone and could end up costing considerably more than what had been budgeted. So in current dollars, about $2.2 billion is BC, BC's share of the cost. That's expected to rise substantially more by the time we get to 2030. Here's how they break down by category. Uh, first of all, when it comes to venues, it's almost half a billion dollars. Villages, 300, athlete villages, $383 million. The big ticket item, essential services and security, more than a billion dollars there. Central conti- Agency, almost 200 million endowment funds, 160 million, and land contributions, but another big item, 348 million dollars. So by 2030, tw- 2.715 billion dollars. The BC government simply feeling that was not a priority in terms of such a large expenditure. The four First Nations though did hold a news conference today, per- expressing their profound disappointment with the government's decision. Chief Wilson Williams of Squamish and Chief Jen Thomas of tooth both expressed disappointment, saying they thought they should have had a, a chance to make their case in front of the government.
6: We didn't come to the table asking for a blank cheque. We were giving terms of this ain't the right time. When will be the right time for Indigenous peoples to be at the forefront in this so-called spirit of reconciliation?
3: We did invite the province to come to our table to talk about this. We were asked by the province to share why we want the Olympics, why it's so important to us, and we didn't even get get that opportunity to share that with them.
7: Now, there are 204 individual First Nations in B.C. This bid involved just four of them. I haven't heard much reaction from other First Nations, so it'll be interesting to see if they share the same view in terms of reconciliation taking a hit here. Uh, we'll be tracking that response and reaction in the days ahead.
2: All right, thanks for that. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Another atmospheric river is forecast for the weekend, nearly one year after last year's catastrophic flooding in the Fraser Valley and beyond. Next on the News Hour, what a Senate committee is calling for to avoid another disaster in the region.
8: It's a a, a piece of Canadian pride to have the uh, the airplane on a stamp.
2: But there's a hitch. Why Canada Post stamp commemorating the beaver is generating controversy. Coming up later. Plus, in the chef chef world, I mean, these are the most coveted awards. Eight Vancouver restaurants honoured with the city's first Michelin stars. Which ones made the list and what it means to the local food scene still to come. Right now, though, we are approaching the one-year anniversary of the floods that paralysed the Fraser Valley and upended thousands of lives. A Senate committee is calling for a comprehensive flood control plan for the valley. And as Paul Johnson reports, they say action is needed urgently to prevent more expensive devastation in the future.
1: Almost a year out from the flooding disaster that hit the Fraser Valley, the total cost of the event continues to come into focus. More than a quarter billion dollars in damage, 15,000 hectares of land inundated and and 2.5 million livestock lost. A disaster of that scope is a national issue, so Canadian senators want to be prepared if we have to face it again. How might we learn from this in a a broader sense. And, And that discussion happened a great deal. The new report based on their inquiry, Treading Water, makes three recommendations. Get all levels of government to collaborate on a comprehensive flood plan for the whole Fraser Valley. Figure out ways to quickly get money to affected farmers after a flood. And work with the Americans for a plan to deal with the Nooksack River, which lies in Washington state, contributed to the flood when it broke its banks.
6: I agree with the recommendations that are in there. Uh, I think from reading the report, they understand what the issues are.
1: Few in politics were closer to the disaster than Abbotsford Mayor Henry Braun, who spoke to the senators and is very clear about what he believes is the single most important thing that needs to be done, a new pump station for the Sumas River.
6: That is the weak link in our diking and drainage system.
1: Braun would also like to see the re-establishment of the Canadian Army in the Fraser Valley. They've been gone since CFB Chilliwack closed down. And the closest units with the large vehicles and engineering capability needed after a flood are in Edmonton. He knows of a parcel of land in Matsqui that's coming available. I'd like to see them there.
6: The fact that the military wasn't here already demonstrates how bad we needed it because of the response time. And that wasn't their fault. It's just they couldn't get here. Everything was cut off.
1: Paul Johnson, Global News.
6: All
2: right, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with what we need to know about the next storm heading for us on Sunday. Christy?
9: Sophie, it's really important to note that this storm is being classified as an atmospheric river, that it, a weak atmospheric river, which means that the rainfall from it is going to be primarily beneficial to the terrain. Uh, nonetheless, this is a substantial storm, bringing anywhere from 60 to 100 plus millimeters of rain to the Metro Vancouver region, with majority of that along the Metro, the North Shore Mountains. Uh, this storm is expected to begin Saturday night. Halloween partyers out there Saturday night you'll likely get drenched on your way home and it will be on and off throughout the day on sunday now sophie when i come back we're going to have a look at our halloween monday there is some uncertainty around that and i know that's very important so we'll get into those details
2: good thanks christy coming up school children fighting for their rights women life
9: freedom for these three simple words they're facing bullets
2: The young Iranians risking their lives for the sake of their future. Also ahead, the B.C. connection to a shocking attack on the husband of U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi.
5: Two lanes south and one lane north over here right now at the Lionsgate Bridge, but still busy on the cloverleaf out of north and west Vancouver. Tomorrow's Lotto 649 gold ball jackpot is $36 million, plus the classic $5 million jackpot, two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Lionsgate Bridge.
2: Well, there are reports a man charged with severely beating the husband of U.S. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi is originally from B.C., the attack happened at the Pelosi home in San Francisco at about 2.30 this morning. Officers were dispatched after receiving a call requesting a wellness check. Inside the home, officers found Paul Pelosi struggling with an intruder. Officers arrested 42-year-old David DePap. There are reports the suspect shouted, where's Nancy, as he confronted her husband. Well, the speaker was not at home at the time. Global News spoke with DePap's stepfather in Powell River, who says they have not spoken with him since 2003. Despite being severely beaten, Paul Pelosi is expected to recover. In Iran, what the UN calls an unprecedented phenomenon, school-aged children joining in the widespread protests against the government. As the regime cracks down on the uprising, there are now reports young children are being killed. A warning, some viewers may find the details and images in this story disturbing. Negar Moshtahedi reports.
5: Mona Narib. She was reportedly shot dead by security forces in Iran's southeastern province of Sistan and Baluchistan. She was just eight years old. Asra Panahi, security forces raided her high school in the northwestern city of Ardabil and demanded a group of girls sing a song praising the Islamic Republic. When they refused, security forces reportedly beat them. Panahi died of her injuries. She was only 16.
9: The killing and detention of children are deeply worrying.
5: Naqib and Panahi are part of a growing number of Iranian children being killed with impunity. I just break down. I mean, to be honest, most of us Iranians are are crying ourselves to sleep at night because we can't handle the images we're seeing. Iranian-Canadian human rights advocate and founder of Stop Child Executions, Nazanin Afshinjam, thinks of images like this one. What you're seeing is apparently the so-called morality police shooting at school age girls in the Kurdish city of Sanandaj. and parents of girls from a Tehran high school in distress after learning their daughters were allegedly strip searched for their cell phones and beaten. School officials allegedly checking their devices for signs of protest participation. One girl is reportedly hospitalized. Young school children are very much part of what has arguably become a revolution. They couldn't be older than 10, chanting women, life, freedom. I do want to uh, read a message from one of the girls inside Iran. She said, my mom is worried that I might join the protests and get killed, but she doesn't understand that without freedom, we'll, we're already dead. Nagar Moshehedi, Global News. Up
2: next, a new stamp stirring up controversy.
8: It would be kind of akin to having a foreign flag behind uh, um, Terry Fox on a a Canadian stamp.
2: Why Canada Post's latest offering isn't landing quite right with aviation enthusiasts. Also ahead, Blast from the Past, opening up a time capsule that's a tribute to an historic moment at UBC.
10: From the stories we need to know, to a look at what's happening right now around us, when BC needs to connect. B.C. turns to the source that brings us together. Global News Connect.
5: Good evening. It's still busy, but steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge. And it's also busy in both directions on the East-West Connector through Richmond between Knight Street and the S-Curve. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside the real Canadian superstores and Walmart's throughout B.C. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com. Open 9 to 9 every day. I'm Trish
2: you in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A tribute to an iconic Canadian aviation workhorse has taken a bit of a nosedive. Earlier this month, Canada Post unveiled a stamp honoring the Beaver aircraft. But it's getting no stamp of approval from aviation buffs because of the plane it features. Brett Bala explains.
6: In Canada, the Beaver is legendary. So much so, the aircraft is getting its own stamp as part of Canada Post's Canadians in Flight series, a celebration of a Canadian-made workhorse.
8: They're just uh, wonderful airplanes.
6: There's just one problem. Look closely at the stamp, and you see the registration N995SP. That makes it an American aircraft. Originally came out of Canada, it was uh, picked up there as a, uh, a wreck. Now almost 60 years old, the plane has been refurbished and is still earning its keep, flown in Alaska, where the artist captured the stamp's image.
8: It flies slow, (laughs) rarely gets over 1,000 feet elevation, and uh, carries a good payload.
6: In a statement, Canada Post says the beaver has been flown around the world. And its widespread use and popularity extend far beyond our nation's borders. Newfoundland 2014. Tim Cole has a long history with the Beaver. In 1968, he flew his first one in the forests of Quebec.
8: Somewhere along the line, they dropped the ball by putting a uh, U.S. registration on the aircraft. It would be kind of akin to having a foreign flag behind Terry Fox on a Canadian stamp.
6: I think it just got missed. I think they picked the best image they could find, and and it got missed. And so it's amusing that Canadians in flight has an American plane. 1,692 Beavers were built between 1947 and 1968, making it the best-selling Canadian aircraft of all time. More than 700 are still flying.
8: If it's a Canadian stamp honoring Canadians, hey, let's have pride in Canada. Cole has written to the federal government
6: asking for the stamp to be reissued featuring a Canadian aircraft. So far, no response. Brett Bala, Global News. UBC students
2: opened up a time capsule today to commemorate a movement that led to the construction of the Point Grey campus. We have a newspaper from students and grads coming together to open the capsule this afternoon it was placed on campus 50 years ago to commemorate the great trek that was a moment in 1922 when student frustration boiled over at the cramped conditions so they walked out to force the government to finish building ubc's point gray campus
7: i've always questioned the celebration of this historic event Because for the most part, when you read about the Great Trek, there's no mention of what this campus means to our community, what this land, what this place, what these waters mean to our people and how this place factors into our history.
2: Students are now putting their own items in the capsule to be opened 50 years from now. Another urgent and primary care center is set to open in Burnaby next week. A ribbon cutting ceremony was held in the metro town area of Kingsway ahead of the new center's opening on Tuesday. It will operate seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. and is meant to provide urgent care services to people in the community who do not need to use an emergency department. Once fully staffed, there will be nearly two dozen full-time equivalent healthcare workers on shift. It's the seventh such center to open in the Fraser Health region and the 29th in the province.
6: This means people, including those with complex care needs, will have increased access to the comprehensive care they need. People in need of mental health and substance use supports will have better access to the appropriate care from the appropriate provider with improved connections to specialized services. Indigenous people will have more coordinated and culturally safe primary care support. And patients who do not have a family doctor or regular nurse practitioner will be able to get one as the S8 UPCC will help attach patients to primary care providers in the community.
2: In August, the province announced $118 million for family doctors as it negotiates a new physician master agreement and a new compensation model with the doctors of B.C. The health minister now says there has been $107 million uptake of that $118 million by family doctors. Well, reservations just got tougher to come by at some of Vancouver's most popular restaurants.
9: It was beloved by Julia Childs and Anthony Bourdain. I mean...
5: It's sort of a place you take all visitors to go to.
2: The very first Michelin Guide Vancouver, which hotspots made the cut in neighborhoods you might not expect. Plus, Help Wanted, the desperate push to fill jobs at ski resorts across BC, and the impact it could have on opening day.
10: From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, B.C. turns to the source that brings us together. Global News Connect.
2: Well, ski resorts in the Okanagan are just weeks away from opening up to the public, but they're in a bit of a bind. A staffing shortage is being felt right across B.C.'s ski resort sector, and it's causing some major concern. Jaden Wozni has more.
4: With snow already on the mountains, ski resorts across B.C. are preparing for what should be another busy season on the slopes. But a new obstacle lies ahead for several ski resorts in the Okanagan Valley, finding enough staff.
6: It is at an all-time struggle. I don't know what is going on. I'm not sure where the staff are.
4: The general manager of Apex Mountain Resort says he's looking to fill at least 150 positions, but it's been a struggle. He says the Hill is hosting a hiring fair in Penticton on November 2nd.
6: We need to really hire
1: positions in every single field. So uh, that could be lifties, snow school, sales, marketing, everything.
4: Uh, Zamboni operators. Shalman says he's also looking at the possibility of adding in more incentives to attract workers, like offering ski deals at other local ski resorts. That strategy was employed by Silver Star Resort, and now they say only a few job postings remain vacant. At Big White, they're not only experiencing a shortage of workers, they're also dealing with a shortage on space to house them.
6: 1,200 people normally prior to covid this year, we're somewhere around 600 right now. We know we have about 450 beds uh, on mountain for staff.
4: Ballingall says a shortage of staff and staffing accommodations could mean changes up at the resort.
6: There might be some parts of our business, especially in the hospitality sector, that we might not be able to open for breakfast, lunch and dinner. So it's really not going to be um, tested until opening day. Scheduled
4: opening day at Big White is November 24th. Meanwhile, Silver Star hopes to open its gates on November 25th and Apex on December 10th. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Kelowna.
2: All right. Well, hopefully that snow will last through this uh, atmospheric river that's on the way on Sunday. Let's bring in Christy Gordon with more. Christy? So well as we
9: well know from last year, uh, what atmospheric rivers can do, they bring in a really mild air and of course all that rainfall and that can really melt some of that early season snow. I'm not as concerned about those uh, mountains in the interior, but how sound, for example, those mountains have had some recent snow. And we certainly could see that come down the tributaries and stream along with all the rainfall we're going to see. So definitely something we're watching. I want to show you this. This is the amount of rainfall we've seen in the last week. Uh, even looking at the YVR number which is only 62 millimeters by comparison look at Port Coquitlam 173 millimeters of rain but just looking at YVR that's more rainfall than we've seen in three and a half months and Coquitlam has had a ton more than that so it has been substantial this week compared to what we've seen uh, just recently as I showed you earlier we are going to see a substantial rainfall uh, event this is starting Saturday night through Sunday but I wanted to highlight this there is a chance it could linger into our Monday. And that's the uncertainty that we are watching right now. It could impact a Halloween night for some areas, particularly what we're watching is that Howe Sound or out through the Fraser Valley. This is Saturday. We are expecting the heaviest rain across the north and central coast. There is a rainfall warning for the central coast, 100 millimeters expected for you. And then it slides down and funnels that moisture towards the south coast through the day Sunday. It does look like the majority of the models are pushing that out Away in time for Halloween but there will be a few areas that will still see a number of showers thankfully it looks like the heaviest rain though will move on by that time there's the heaviest rain across the north and central coast some nice breaks in through the interior regions tomorrow but for our region cloud and showers for our Saturday highs reaching though a nice 14 degrees that that that's that mild flow that we're going to see and we are going to see heavy rain and wind on Sunday so power outages are certainly possible but yes keeping our fingers crossed that the trend is uh, heading in a good way for Halloween where we'll see breaks by the latter part of the day. Here's tonight's central windows weather window looking out at the blue sky we saw today in Campbell River. Thank you
2: to Ed Nowler for that one. So back to you. All right, thanks for that, Christy. Well, Vancouver is finally on the Michelin map with a prestigious guide giving recognition to a handful of local restaurants for the very first time. Aaron MacArthur has more on what the coveted ratings mean for the newly minted restaurants and what the selection says about the local food scene.
10: It's a Vancouver institution, now recognized internationally. After 37 years in business, Michelin is giving a coveted spot in its guide to Phnom Penh. It's the greatest achievement that we've ever had amongst all the achievements that we have ever already have done Uh, for our family. That's a very proud moment. Thursday night, the fancy people got together recognizing Vancouver's food scene. Michelin, (laughs) the tire guy, was invited to Vancouver to boost the city's reputation and potential as a food specific tourist draw.
0: A guide for motorists.
10: The Michelin Guide started out as a way to encourage French people to drive more. But now, a star or a bib gourmand can make a chef's career and ensure a restaurant's success. This is the second Canadian city in the Michelin Guide. One of the surprises is how approachable and affordable Vancouver's quality dining can be. Many of the standouts are decidedly casual, often tucked away. Five restaurants, all within a few blocks in Chinatown and the downtown east side, recognized for their excellence
6: and value. The
5: same amount of fancy restaurants.